You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Well, Riverside, uh, it, is, it is a joy to be here with you today and to finish out the book of Colossians. And as we, as we jump into the text, let's pray. Lord, it is, uh, it is so good to be in your presence. As we have already sung your praises, as we have already prayed, as we have already celebrated the work that you're doing in a vital ministry partner that we share and support and, and love. And we have already heard your word read to us. What a gift every single one of these things is. What a way to edify and strengthen our faith. So as we come to your word together and explore it, may these words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we have made it all the way to the door. If you were here last week, and you heard my talk about the Midwestern goodbye, this is where we are now. We've made it all the way to the door, okay? Last pass, the last passage was this, the, this, this sort of middle movement of the Midwestern goodbye where you slap your thighs and say, well, I suppose, and then between five and 45 minutes passes as you try to make your way towards the door. So now we're actually at the door, right? We seriously only have like five to 15 minutes left, max, but actually the sermon will be about 30, just so you know. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, I mean, this is where you're slipping on your shoes, you're finding the kids' coats, and you actually have your hand on the doorknob, which sometimes can last a long time, right? Or the door is open and you're trying not to let the dog out, right? All these. So this is, this is the section of the text. We're at the end. The story's almost over. We're moving towards the finale and the last words. And uh, this is a section of acknowledgments, updates, that are very common in Paul's letters. Some such passages, they usually have reminders of where he is, or where he's going, other updates about other people and who they are and where they're going or where they've been. And for me, I don't know about you, but it's, it's easy to kind of gloss over these sections. You could start reading a bunch of names and you kind of trip over them and you just kind of keep going and plowing through. Uh, that, that person I don't know, that person I don't know, that person I've heard of, that person I haven't heard of. Um, but if we sit with this passage for a while, today's passage, we get, really, we get invited to this, this community of stories and interconnected communities and the way God is working in various ways throughout the community of Colossae, the city that this letter was written to, Colossians, but also Laodicea, also Hierapolis, this whole tri-city area where these young churches are trying to mutually encourage one another and partner together in the gospel. And so I think there's a couple big themes that will kind of come up over and over as we go through this passage that, that Mary Beth read for us. And I think they're pr- profound but pretty straightforward. And one is teamwork makes the dream work. That is one of the themes of this passage. Absolutely, teamwork makes the dream work. The church is supported by like this beautiful network of messengers and supporters and prayers. And then the second point is that the unimaginably good news of Jesus, that is the theme of this ser- series on Colossians, the unimaginably good news of Jesus binds unexpected people together. As you go through this list of names, there are a lot of unexpected people who are bound together in the work of the gospel. 
The themes will pop up again and again. So let's uh, start walking through the names and the stories and the updates in this text. So the first person we hear about is the one who's delivering the letter to the church, Tychicus. And I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but I'm going to keep going with it, Tychicus. Paul, oh, say, uh, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. This is Paul speaking. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So Paul props up the credentials of the letter carrier who gets to deliver not only this amazing letter that we have, that we've read, that we've explored these last weeks, but also some off-book news about what's going on with Paul. Um, Perhaps, as the kids would say, Tychicus has the tea on Paul, and we'll share it with the church. I don't know if they would say that, but it's possible. Um, But Paul lines up credentials for Tychicus, starting with dear brother. He calls him a dear brother. That is a credential. That is... That makes him trustworthy, right? He's part of the family in Christ. And then the second thing is that he's also a faithful minister. So a dear brother and a faithful minister, that is he has the role either in this local church or sort of itinerantly traveling like Paul, he brings ministerial credentials with him. And the third credential is that he is a fellow servant in the Lord. So this could functionally be the same thing as being a faithful minister, right? A fellow servant in the Lord, a faithful minister. Those sound very similar. But Paul always likes to emphasize over and over again and takes the opportunity over and over again to emphasize the importance of servanthood wherever he can. That being a leader doesn't mean you stand above other people, but that you serve them. And he is a fellow servant in the Lord. So for any time he mentions a position of title like minister, he also wants to counter that with a lowly position like servant. To quote Lord, our Lord Jesus, whoever wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. So, Tychicus comes. He comes as family, a dear brother. He's family. He comes as a minister and he comes as a servant to update the Colossians on Paul and Timothy's circumstances, to encourage their hearts. And I don't know about you, but I praise God for the people in my life that have the gift of encouragement. You know some people that you would name that they just have the gift of encouragement? I, uh, some of us probably don't know where we would be without the people in our lives who have the gift of encouragement, right? Um, I'm not sure how the church at Colossae received the news of Paul's imprisonment. If it's like, well, this kind of happens over and over again with Paul. Or if they're shocked and and broken up about it, right? But they are hearing that word, that he is in chains. That's part of of the story of what they're getting about Paul. Uh, But it's really good for them to have someone come and tell them that story, to be there for them, to contextualize it for them, and to breathe a word of encouragement for them, right? That, yes, Paul, our leader, this guy that that encourages us, he is in chains, he is in prison. We don't know what's going to happen next, but Tychicus is there to encourage them, to tell them the story, to let them know what's really going on. And I can attest that in ministry, like Paul or Tychicus or whoever, in ministry, encouragement goes both ways. Because I think all of us, as anybody who is in ministry, tries to be an encourager to others, and I try to be an encourager to you all. 
but I don't think I get to encourage you all nearly as much as you all encourage me. Um, some of you know that like October is, I don't know if this is like a made-up holiday, holiday like sweet, Sweetest Day or whatever, but Pastor Appreciation Month in October. But, um, well, I mean, all holidays are made up on some level, right? But uh, <laughs> um, I just, I just want to publicly thank the people who sent cards, spoke words, gave gifts of encouragement. Um, every, everything that we received was both surprising and life-giving to Marcy and I. Uh, so thank you. And if you didn't know it was Pastor Appreciation Month, month don't worry. We were appreciated. Like, <laughs> right? like, oh, no, I missed it. Just thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Um, okay, on to verse 9. He is coming, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Okay, at least Onesimus is easier to pronounce than Tychicus. Okay? Um, but it would be easier to gloss over this sentence if we didn't have any context about Onesimus. But while Onesimus gets a mention here in the brief letter to Philemon, which we are going to talk about next week, um, he is a main character in the book of Philemon. So what's so significant about Onesimus? I'm going to unpack it more next week, but he has been an enslaved person, a slave. It would be a mark or perhaps the mark of his identity wherever he went that he was a slave, property belonging to a master. But at this point in the story, when he's writing the end of Colossians, Paul doesn't even feel like he has to mention that, right? He doesn't mention his status. The only thing he mentions, reiterating it a few different ways, is that he is one of us and one of you, part of the body, a faithful and dear brother to Paul and to the whole Colossian church, and indeed to the whole church everywhere. This man, Onesimus, is our, our faithful and dear brother, part of our family. And in case we didn't get the point yet, Paul reiterates, who is one of you, right? Our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. Not adjacent to you, not less than you, not a revered guest of you, not above you or better than you, but attached to you and your community and your family as one of you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I, I, don't, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Um, well, so along with Tychicus, Onesimus will give the Colossians the lowdown on what's going on with Paul. And then we're going to move on to some more greetings now. So greetings from folks who are not present at Colossae. So verse 10 and 11. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have provided, or they have proved a comfort to me. So these are Paul's Jewish co-workers, Paul himself being Jewish as well, right? But these are his Jewish co-workers, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called Justice. We don't get a lot about Aristarchus in Scripture, but he's clearly in chains with Paul, so he must be doing something right. Right? He's chained up right next to Paul, so he's obviously doing something being faithful. 
But we do learn a good amount about Mark in the book of Acts. Uh, Mark is also attributed to, to, to writing the Gospel of Mark, so that's a, that's, that's a very important thing. Um, but there's this fascinating back-and-forth story that, uh, that adds new layers to this broad scope of coming into one body in Christ. So let's look at this story from Acts 15 about Mark, or John, who is also called Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So we know it's the same guy because they're both the cousin of Barnabas, okay? So verse, verse 36 of Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia, where the pamphlet was invented. Sorry, that, that was not... I'm in the middle of reading scripture. I can't make jokes like that. That was not in the scriptures. He deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them there in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So Mark was a deserter. A deserter. And that's a label that can stick to somebody their whole lives, right? You do something like that, leave somebody... Right? That can stick with you. Paul thought what Mark had done was so despicable that he couldn't even travel with him anymore. Like, you, you go that way, and I'll go this way. Paul was the one who had beef with Mark. He began traveling instead with Silas. Let's see if this traveling companion will be more faithful than Mark was. The fact that this incident is recorded in Scripture, and then Paul says what he says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, is powerful. He says, You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. If Mark comes to you, welcome him. He doesn't say, if Mark comes, have nothing to do with him because he's a deserter, and we don't like that guy. He says, if he comes to you, welcome him. So, I hope you're seeing the picture already. The picture of all these people being held together in the gospel. These people being held together, held together by the unimaginably good news of Jesus, right? We have two men in chains, Paul and Aristarchus, right? We have one enslaved brother who has apparently been set free. We have a known deserter who had a noteworthy personal and professional conflict with the primary author of this letter, people with institutional obstacles, people with personal obstacles, people with professional or personality obstacles, all joining together in service of a gospel that is so much bigger than any one of them. How's that sound? How about we add to that significant support from both Jewish and Gentile believers, all working together, in service of a gospel that is much bigger than any one of them. How does that sound? So Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings, completing the trifecta of the fellow Jews in Paul's company. But then we move on to this significant Gentile support. So it's important for Paul to say his ministry, right? He says this several times in his letters, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. One family, but this is how we do it. We start with where, where the story started and then we move into the next chapter together. 
So we move on to the significant Gentile support, beginning with Epaphras in verse 12. So Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So most scholars believe that Epaphras actually planted the churches of Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, this tri-city area. And Paul says he's working hard for them, but clearly he's not there, right? Because otherwise he wouldn't have to say he's working hard for you. If he was there and they saw him working hard for them, Paul wouldn't need to say it, right? Um, But Paul sends his greetings. And it appears that Epaphras' ministry must mirror Paul's in some way, right? That, That he's not a rooted shepherd of a congregation, but he's somebody who is a missionary church planter, right? Who continues to love the communities and the churches that he has spent time with, but goes on and, 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 and moves on to other communities and serves there as well. But his love for them, his love for the Colossians is manifest most deeply and most clearly through a constant wrestling for them in prayer. So I've been thinking about this. What, what do you picture when you hear that description that somebody is always wrestling in prayer for you? For a group of believers that they love deeply, what sort of things do we wrestle with prayer about on behalf of others? So in my experience, it often grows out of a genuine concern for people, right? You wrestle in prayer for people you are genuinely concerned about and genuinely love. Whether they're in danger or they're facing some kind of trial, facing persecution, struggling to stay alive, struggling to root out some false teaching, struggling to remain faithful to the gospel amidst all sorts of cultural pressures. But here's, I picture Epaphras, probably sleeplessly, probably in the middle of the night, right? Contending for these dear brothers and sisters in this beloved community that surely he knows well, picturing their faces filled with love and doing all he can in their behalf while doing ministry elsewhere, just wrestling and wrestling in prayer with God, spending time in anguish for them, knowing that the Lord loves them, wanting to communicate that as well as you can from a distance. Okay, so that's Epaphras. So now we move on to a couple more Gentiles who are partnering with Paul. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Uh, It's kind of an understatement to say that Dr. Luke was a significant figure In the early church, if you've read the book of Luke or the book of Acts, you know that Dr. Luke was very, very important. Um, So he he writes one of the four accounts, right? So Mark did as well. Mark was a deserter. I know I focused on that, but Mark wrote wrote one of those accounts. But Luke writes this, this detailed account, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have that are part of our scriptures the story of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. And Luke, Luke tells more about the birth of Jesus than any, other, than any of the other gospel authors. But then he writes this completely unique book, this unique letter called The Acts of the Apostles, a stunning narrative of the early church that gives context and a timeline to all the other letters of the New Testament. We would have a really hard time making sense of Paul's letters if we didn't have Acts to read alongside them, right? It tells the story about how the Holy Spirit moved in the earliest churches, 
It gives us not just glimpses, but full-on displays of joy and hope and conflict and redemption and healing and prayer and truly abundant life in Christ. That's what we get in Luke and Acts. So the guy that will write all that, laying significant foundation for every Jesus-loving community in history, and including ours, and a doctor to boot, he sends his greetings. And also Demas also sends his greetings. It's sort of like uh, Taylor Swift sends her greetings, and also my neighbor Kevin. (laughs) It's not quite like that, but it's a little bit like that, right? Um, so there actually is mention of a Demas, so we, we may know something about Demas. We're not sure it's the same Demas, but um, in 1 John and James, and uh, we, have, we have this Demas who walked away from the faith, kind of like Mark, Mark walked away from the ministry, not from the faith, but he walked away from the faith for love of the world. So it's possible that Paul actually has in mind this another, yet another story of somebody who returned to faithfulness after a wayward time. So that's a great story. It's a great story in Scripture. We're just not totally sure it's the same person, but it's, it's beautiful. And again, another type of person brought together through the unimaginably good news of Jesus. Verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So this greeting likely means that the church of Laodicea, or at least the central church in that city, may, may be more than one, met in Nympha's home. And Nympha is clearly a woman of means, a homeowner, since she's the only one mentioned here. But like all church hosts, surely Nympha was an important leader in the Laodicean church. So Paul acknowledges her too. And he also has more directions for Nympha and that Laodicean church. So in verse 16, he has more to say. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So, we obviously have this letter, the Colossians letter, right? Because we just read it together very slowly week by week, verse by verse. It doesn't seem like we have the letter from Laodicea anymore, which is sad. Um, Because Paul mentions specifically that it was valuable, right? That you should read it too. If it was worth them reading, it would be nice if we could read it too. So some scholars have suggested that Ephesians was actually written to the church at Ephesus and Laodicea, and he might be talking about that letter. No way to know that for sure, but scholars love to do that research, right? It's good stuff. Um, so there's some evidence for it, but not enough to be confident about it. But anyway, that's just interesting scholarly stuff if you'd like to know. Uh, verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received into the Lord. So Archippus is one more final name as we come to the end of Colossians. His name will come up again in Philemon next week, so we'll talk about him a little bit more. But clearly, Paul had confidence in him and entrusted him with a very important ministry. And then we have the last verse, verse 18. It's always something to get, like when you've spent verse by verse going through a letter and you get to the very end. So here's the very end. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Verse 18 like a lot of Paul's letters, ends with something like this. And it, it also, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge to our conception of what it means that Paul wrote all these letters, right? Because clearly he hasn't been writing the whole time, otherwise he wouldn't make a big deal of the fact that he's writing at the end, right? He, 
He didn't write it with his hand, apparently, but he wrote this part, this very part. I write this greeting in my own hand. Um, he makes a big deal about his, hand, his own handwritten signature, actually in several of his letters, which means that somebody else has been writing them up until now. And I don't pretend to know exactly how that works. Was it like dictator? Hey, Siri, take this down for me. Um, we know that he was working with, with Timothy specifically on this letter, right? Um, we don't know if it was straight dictation, but I do know this. Every word of these epistles was written under Paul's apostolic authority, which was under the authority of Jesus himself, okay? So however it worked, I, I just don't have a time machine, all that stuff. But we trust in the authority of Christ, that these are rooted in the authority of Christ. And we're not going to get into all canon theology right now, but um, I hope you read these words as Paul saying, this is authentic, right? Paul is authenticating. He's saying, I stand behind this letter. I stand behind every word by writing my name, writing this greeting at the end. And then he does end with these words, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We do remember. And grace is with us. You remember the themes that I mentioned at the very beginning? You might remember the first one because it was a catchy little phrase. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? I think you've seen these themes again and again as we've walked through this letter and walked through this section. Teamwork makes the dream work. The church is supported by a beautiful network of messengers, supporters, and prayers. And we've named them by name walking through this, the end of this letter. So think about that. It's Teamwork the dream work is, yes, a very cheesy platitude, but it means something, right? It's true. It's true. It's true for, it's true for Colossians. It's true for Paul. It's true for Riverside, is it not? That teamwork makes the dream work? We have all these wonderful ministry partners that we support. The Beacon, Camp Raybird, Asha, several families and organizations doing mission work in various local and international and campus settings. And none of those partnerships, zero of those partnerships, exactly zero of those partnerships are a one-way street. Right? None of them are a one-way street. Each one of them strengthens our own ministry too. The fact that we support and work with other ministries strengthens our ministry. We could buy into the lie that, that giving sacrificially stretches us too thin, but I think it's just the opposite, right? We all strengthen one another by living faithfully into the ministry that God has called each one of us to. And that is worth celebrating, right? Over and over and over again. Is it possible to live recklessly and stretch yourself too thin? Yes. Okay? Absolutely. But Riverside is intentionally built, I think, on the strong foundation of partnership and teamwork. And I think it's just heartening to see glimpses of just that sort of thing right here in the New Testament. We didn't just make up this idea, right? We're trying to follow and be faithful to the way ministry has always been done, the way the church has always been done, the way we've always worked together and partnered across nations, across across just different boundaries that, that the world erects around us. And then the second theme, which will lead us right to the table, is this. The unimaginably good news of Jesus binds unexpected people together. Right? The unimaginably good news of Jesus binds unexpected people together. In this letter, enslaved people, 
imprisoned people, deserting people, local leaders, doctors, church hosts. I'm not even sure I have to say a whole lot more about this point, but the gospel does that. It brings unexpected people together. The gospel of Jesus does that. It's done it from the beginning and will continue to do it always. And I absolutely love our community of unexpected people. I love our community of unexpected people. The unimaginably good news of Jesus makes us family. All of us. Every one of us, when we come to Jesus, it makes us family. And so, this meal starts at the family table. And it starts with one cup, one loaf, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Jesus, one Lord who every one of us bows before. That's why we're all family, because every one of us bows before Jesus. And he lifts us more high, higher than we could ever. We could ever imagine or dream on our own. Let's pray as we prepare to come to the table together. Lord, it is a stunning thing to be part of the stories of the ministries of your people across time and space. The fact that we can be meaningfully connected to a ministry like Asha, which is a 14-hour plane ride away from us, be meaningfully connected because of the gospel. The fact that we can meaningfully be connected to Camp Raybird, which is only 10 minutes away, but very different. A very different physical space, serving in many ways a different population, but we are connected in you, Lord Jesus. And we are connected to the church at Colossae, which existed 2,000 years ago. surely planted many more ministries and changed and morphed in many ways. The house in which it met surely came and went. And we are connected to that ministry and that church because of your gospel, because of the unimaginably good news of Jesus. We are part of the story that you've been telling since creation. So Lord Jesus, today, thank you for inviting us into your story, into your gospel, into your family. Thank you for taking these gifts, the bread and the cup, and nourishing us through them. We thank you for reminding us through them that we are one. And we thank you for reminding us that we are one because we are all under you. That you are our Lord. 
Lord, move in our hearts. Draw us deeper in relationship with you today and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.